This podcast is brought to you by 3B, the mental wellbeing company, hosted by Claire and Sue, co-founders of 3B. When you've got your wellbeing mojo on, you're firing on all cylinders. You're accepting of whatever comes your way. You're being resilient. We believe that one size does not fit all, and we want you to discover your own wellbeing mojo. So join us on our podcast journey where we'll be exploring the many different aspects of mental well-being. And hopefully, you can learn what you need to get your well-being mojo on. This is our first show, guys, and you will have to forgive us for any mistakes. It's our first rodeo in this kind of stuff. So I'm Claire. And I'm Sue. And together we are 3B, the mental wellbeing company. And we're being joined today by Jay from Purple Wellness. Hi, folks. So Jay is very into obviously anything to do with well-being and supporting people before they get down that mental health route hopefully so we're going to be talking to Jay in our first half and then the second half we're going to be having a bit of a discussion Uh, so hopefully you'll stay with us for the full two hours so over to you Sue thanks Claire um so Jay it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for making time for this today. Thank you for inviting me. No, that's great. It's great. Um, so, as you know, I'm just going to dive in with some questions okay, straight away for great. you. Is that all right? Because, um, as you know, we are 3B, the mental wellbeing company. And we know that there's a lot of terms banded around in the wellbeing world. There is. Yeah. So, when we say mental wellbeing, what does that mean for you? Um, for me personally, mental well-being is how I feel in the here and now. What's my inner voice telling me? You know, how am I figuring my place in the world at the moment? And how it's a combination of things. You know, how are you feeling generally? How are you feeling physically? Because mental well-being is about all the parts of you. So your physical well-being, your mental well-being. What are your thoughts and feelings? How satisfied are you with your place in the universe? Are you feeling optimistic about the future? That's what it kind of sums up for me. So it isn't just that, you know, how am I feeling emotionally, like some people tend to think, or how am I feeling distressed? I think mental well-being is a bit of a, a mixture of everything together and how you feel. I love that. I really liked what you mentioned about, you know, what's my inner voice? Absolutely, because, yeah, you've got to have that inner dialogue. I know some people don't actually have it. And, um I know I always find that quite incredible because as Claire will um, ascertain, my um, inner voice is very, very loud. (laughs) It's always shouting at me in some way or another. So, yeah, I loved how you described that and I loved um, how you shared your personal interpretation of mental well-being. So we'd like to ask you to share your own personal journey with mental well-being. What's your story and how is this journey led to greater mental well-being for you? Um, I, I've been quite fortunate in my life. I had a, a really nice upbringing. My parents are still around, they're still together, which is fab. My parents began fostering when I was five years old, so I had a, a, um, 
a foster brother and sister who went on to be adopted and then they continued on that journey. So I think that kind of started shaping my outlook on life about helping other people and having an interest in other people and not being selfish and just making me a well-balanced person. Um, so I didn't go to university. I went straight into school, at, uh, straight into work at 16. Um, stayed on at college as well. Fortunate enough to get a mortgage at 18. So I've, I've always worked and I think that's also played a part of my mental well-being in the terms of stress. Mm. You know, I mortgage at 18, it, it was really, really tough. I didn't realise how tough it would be. So straight away I had to start looking at coping mechanisms and that kind of thing and I've stumbled upon, I did a bit of yoga, did a bit of meditation. So a bit of everything really, which is how I've kind of fallen into that route. Um, I went into a, a really stressful sales career that I did for about 20 odd years, which was great, you know, I, it, it paid my bills and stuff and I had the opportunity to take redundancy and retrain. So I looked around at what I wanted to do and thought, do you know what, I want to do something I want to do for a change. I've spent 20 odd years as a on the hamster wheel, if you like, mm. earning money, paying the mortgage, etc. So I decided to retrain as a clinical hypnotherapist because I had a background in psychology, I'd had a background in a thing called NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. So I thought, okay, I think I can make a, you know, I can make a living out of being a clinical hypnotherapist and wellness in general. So I retrained and did that, and it was great. I found it really, really helpful. Um, helped a lot of people, and it's gone really, really well for me. Um, so I consider myself, you know, it's kind of on the wellness wellness journey. I'm still learning. I'm currently undertaking a counselling degree at the moment and a few other courses on suicide prevention, mental health. So yeah, that, that's kind of where I've, I've gone in life. Um, I believe that all humans are innately good. I consider myself a passenger on the train to the station of what's called self-actualisation. So self-actualisation is kind of when you are really happy where you are in life and you, you've met all your other basic needs. You've got a roof over your head, you know, you're, you're okay financially and you're just you're quite happy and I think that's... That's a really important. If you can get there, that's absolutely amazing. Um, there's a, a few quotes that kind of put things into perspective for me. So one interesting fact is fewer than 20 men have set foot on any other body in the solar system, in the moon. So it kind of just puts you in how significant we are as humans. You know, we're all constantly rushing around, and, but we're so insignificant in the grand scheme of things. We're like a speck of dust in the universe so and the other thing that I kind of an ethos that I live by is a rising tide raises all ships if I'm doing well I'll try and help my friends and raise them up to do well I love that that really resonates with me and that's a, a really big powerful thing because very often people can feel like they're in competition with one yeah. another Whereas actually you're saying you raise up, you raise others up with you, you bring them along. I think in terms of, you know, we've got social media such a big thing these days and you, you get people who, they'll go on Facebook and they'll see the friends got a new car or got a new, and, they, and they don't wish them well. Mm. They, they kind of get that jealous thing and think, oh, well, well why should he have a new car? Just just be really happy that they've got a new car. I don't, I don't you know, I don't see the negativity, just... Someone's getting on, brilliant. All power to them, absolutely fantastic. 
the world that we're living in though that is sort of that's what it makes you the media and everything else wants us to compare they want us to keep up with the joneses Absolutely. as it always used to be and yeah try and have that comparison and you know me and sue have done a podcast on comparison because it is really negative yeah. if you're comparing yourself with other people because there's always going to be somebody who's got more or you know is better at something or is happier or perceived to be that kind of thing rather than actually just living our own lives and what what fits us and i think if you succumb to that mindset then that's when you start taking on that negativity and it really affects your mental well-being which is it totally does yeah we've said that it's sort of like (coughs) we don't want people to play the comparison game because actually that's what will head you down that mental health route whereas if you just look at where you are so actually, where you're, what you're coming from, where you're talking about there, this, yeah, just be happy for people if they've, Absolutely. if I they've mean, got stuff and you know, in, wherever in, they are. Having a sales career, I was one of those people that had mm. to have the most shiny coins. You know, that, that's, that's the nature of sales. You are bred into you that it's all about hitting your targets, getting the shiny coins, buying the latest car. You know, I bought into that for 20 odd years, but it, it does not serve you well. So can I ask, what do you think was the turning point? Was it the voluntary redundancy? Did that get you to think, or were you already starting to look? I was already starting to be disillusioned with, yeah. with the whole sales thing. Um, so I, I was offered redundancy, which was great. I walked into another job after redundancy with, with the money in the bank straight away. Um, but the, the, the next couple of companies that I went for, I, I did sort of short stints in a few other sales companies, and they were kind of the slippery car salesman kind of route and that wasn't me I'd, I'd had a really good um really good career really well thought of i was headhunted when i left that job to go to another one i had customers that were still in touch with me from 20 years ago so when it kind of you know slipped into the slippery car salesman type sales role i just thought this isn't for me you know i've got integrity i'm not going to compromise on my integrity um, and that's when I started thinking about what can I do, you know, it was a turning point, I just turned 40, and I thought, what can I do with the rest of my life, I don't want this to be my mark on life, just hamster wheel, doing sales, IT sales, so I thought, how can I make a difference, you know, my parents had, had really made a difference in a lot of children's lives over the years, and I just thought, if I died tomorrow, what, what's my legacy, what have I left behind? You know, I wanted to sort of change that and make the world just a tiny bit better than when I came into the world. So that's why I decided to retrain, follow something I've been interested in for a long time, as say psychology. I'd done psychology A-level at night school. I'd done a few other courses. I had a big interest in NLP about how that can help change people's lives and that kind of thing. So I looked around at the various therapies. I had a tiny interest in Reiki, but that wasn't for me. And the looked into hypnotherapy because I'd, I'd skirted with that in the past and thought here's a really good therapy that can actually enact change in people and help a lot of people and that's the route I went down it's great so can I just touch on having done neuro-linguistic programming myself yep. NLP <coughs> big advocate of it um not evangelical about it I sort of like I'm not bothered what things are called it's more about what you can use from it but a lot of people who know about NLP actually don't like it because they don't know properly about it or they think it can be used for negative things so like you were saying that slippery car salesman kind of thing (coughs) 
not that everybody is, but that kind of stuff. They, I know, they were on my course with me doing NLP yeah. to try and help them to sell things. Yeah. That's really not my kind of ethos with it at all. What would you say to people who are a bit sceptical of NLP? <coughs> NLP is a really good tool. I think it can be used. It's obviously, like a lot of these industries, there's a big um, financial reward around them. So people that are pushing NLP trading charge exorbitant amounts of money so you do get a lot of sales um, type roles that gravitate towards NLP because they all want to sell more it's you know it's, it's the nature of the beast isn't it so NLP's got its uses and I found it useful for inspiring people and helping people drive them forward but it is you know it's a tool it's a it's a, a tool to get people to bend them to your will I guess um, which is a, it's a horrible way to think of it but NLP is, it's an advertiser's dream, isn't it? It's its all about, you know, it, you can ins use it to inspire people, but you can also use it to people to convince them to your way of thinking. So I didn't kind of go down, I didn't want to be an NLP trainer, I didn't want to do any of that. Say the costs involved were absolutely exorbitant. I mean, some of the NLP courses, they can be thousands of pounds for oh, a yeah. two-day weekend course. And again, it's an unregulated industry, so, you know... Somebody could just set themselves up tomorrow and be an NLP trainer and, and you know, there's, there's no one to stop them, so to speak. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't something I wanted to continue as a getting involved with passing the knowledge on to other people. It was useful during my lifetime to friends that said, Listen, oh, I'm lacking in confidence or, you know, how do I do this, how do I do that? And I'd say, Well look, you know, there's these techniques that I've learnt and I'd pass on that knowledge to them. Um there's a great story about a friend that was um, a cleaner and she, her, she decided her role in life was to be a cleaner. That was her station. Didn't want to go any higher. She'd just gone through a really bad divorce and I just got chatting to her one night and I said, you know, I'm not going to mention her name, but I just said, look, you can do so much more if you want to. You can be anything you want to be. And we, we did some work together and then she went on to get an office job and then office manager and then she moved to another company and now she's absolutely flying <coughs> doing really really well that's a lovely way of like obviously speaking about somebody and hopefully she's still flying high with that but i totally get where you're coming from with the nlp <laughs> i love it but i also know people who use it for the wrong kind of thing i think it can be really helpful it's something that me and sue have used an awful lot even just on each other kind of thing where and what we did with our high qualification in coaching because it has a lot of uses in that so it can be used <laughs> really well something that we know you have as well an ethos that me and sue have is just about being authentic about being open and honest yeah. and what you were saying there about you know it's unregulated this kind of business that we're in it is unregulated and we're really keen on people you know, finding the best person that they can relate to. We feel that it's really important to be authentic, to be open, honest about what it is that we're doing. But, you know, there are people out there who could be in the well-being game and are not being like that. How would people be able to know the difference between those who are really genuine and those who are probably just trying to get on the money bandwagon? I think a personal recommendation is just 
head and shoulders above anything else, above being in a directory like Check a Trade or anything, I think word of mouth. You know, if you get good service from somebody, go and shout about it. Yeah. Push that person forward, whether that's having your driveway done or going to a hypnotherapist or going to a personal trainer. You know, word of mouth is just head and shoulders above the rest because there's so many of these websites and institutions that you can join and they're just they're just there to take the person's money to to promote that person so for me definitely word of mouth i mean my business flourished under word of mouth um i started off i did sort of six months to a year of doing a lot of free work locally um and some of the people i encountered there was a lady in um, norton cross in runcorn and they'd had this hypnotherapist and they, and they paid for seven sessions a lot of money first time they met this chap he showed them a video the second time he sold them some Herbalife he never once in seven sessions helped her hypnotized or did anything but he claimed he was a hypnotherapist and when they physically after seven sessions they ran out of money it was 120 pounds a session wow and they said look you know we, we can't afford you anymore but we really need help and he said well no I won't be coming anymore if you've got no more money and wow. you know sold them Herbalife it's so, awful yeah yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of charlatans out there, but um, as I say, word of mouth, I think, is the best recommendation. Um, I think, Jay, if I may jump in, I love what you're saying there about the personal recommendation because it fits, it seemed to fit with what you were saying before about building people up. Yep. And I think that's a really important part of, of this industry because obviously Claire and I have quite a large network. Um, we know a lot of people, you know, kind of working in this field, and I think, yeah, it is important to be a little bit, not so much sceptical, but to ask questions, I think. Yeah. And to know what it is that you are looking for. And I think part of that and part of Claire, the work that Claire and I do, we're really big on helping people to get to know themselves better. And I think that's part of being able to then identify, okay, well, what is it that I actually need support with? And as you say, the personal recommendation you know that goes so far doesn't it because we're all different but at, and we can only share how something's helped us but actually it's a good starting point and then like you say it works across all trades doesn't it we, we're always kind of on the lookout for a good electrician or a good plasterer yeah you know. and it's it's you'll, you'll know a good therapist when you go to them and they might say to you i can't help you and turn you away because they're not driven by the money i think and that's always a good sign it's a great isn't indicator it? that, and that's yeah. the authenticity and claire and i very much come from that position you know sometimes if we meet a client and you know we're having a chat with them about what they want and if if it sometimes it doesn't quite fit and we know when that and you know and we're quite happy to sort of hold our hands up and say you know i don't think we can provide for you what it is you're looking for or like you say maybe ethically this doesn't fit with you know yeah. what we're about and i think yeah, so I think if you get that kind of feedback from somebody, then you'll know there and then, won't you? Exactly. Then they're you the real to, deal. Yeah, a good thing. So, moving on to more about the practice of mental well-being. What is it that you do to support yourself with that on like maybe a daily or weekly basis within a routine kind of thing? So... Obviously, I work all sorts of hours, but something that fits in really well for me and I find really, really useful, keeping my mind healthy and the scales of well-being weighing towards the positive side of things. I love walking. I do lots of walking and hiking. I'm in a couple of hiking groups locally. And it's just nice. I get out. I can indulge my passion of photography. You know, I'm out walking. 
But when I'm on a daily basis, when I'm walking for myself and just looking to unwind podcasts, podcasts, audiobooks, pop my headphones on, go off for a walk, all weathers, and I find that really, really useful. It's my time to process the highs and lows and the interactions that are taking place with me on a daily basis. So it's kind of, it's getting back to that inner voice, you know, it's, I've not got the distractions of the television, my mobile phone ringing, I just pop my headphones on, go out for a walk, pop my phone on airplane mode, put the podcast on, listen to the podcast and then kind of think about what's happened that day, you know, highs, lows, have I had a call from the bank to say, you know, you need more money in your account, (laughs) have I just won £2.50 on the lottery, any interactions I've had with family, friends, you know, if a customer's unhappy or a client's giving me positive feedback and you're just walking along, just processing all those thoughts and feelings. Yeah, that's lovely, I must admit, walking, really. It's free, you know, you can do it whatever the weather. Yeah. Yeah, even when it's snowing, which actually, I, di- I just really like that sometimes. It's a really good way of being mindful, isn't it, as well? Absolutely, yeah. That's lovely. That's something that anybody could try and anybody, hopefully, most people can do. So if you could share one insight that's really helped in your mental well-being journey, what would that be? Um, It's got to be positivity, even in the face of adversity. So positivity breeds positivity. You know, I'm very much a believer that if you see the negative all the time, then you're just going to spiral out of control. And that's when you're really going to need some outside help with your well-being. So just being positive you know it's very tough it's easy for me to say oh just be positive just smile you know pull yourself together it's more than that it's it is just sitting there thinking well okay i've I've lost my job what can i do you know what are the next steps what can i do or you could just sit at home and think oh i've lost my job oh you you can't do that you you really are going to spiral so just absolutely be positive and, and look around and Build yourself a support network. There's nothing wrong with that. To have friends that you can talk and discuss things with, I think it's very important. So, yeah, just kind of staying positive. I mean, I'm a very resilient person. I've had some real lows in my life and some really good highs. But tomorrow is a new day. It's a fresh slate. You control your destiny and how you feel. Nobody can control how you feel. They can affect how you feel. Yeah. As I say, you can have... You know, we're going through some really financial hardships at the moment with fuel and gas prices and things, but how you choose to feel inside is, is really driven by you. You know, some of the people that are in the poorest conditions in the world are some of the happiest people. I don't think you can buy happiness. It, it absolutely helps. If I won the lottery, I'm sure I'd be ecstatic. <laughs> but, you know, it really is how you perceive the world and how you interpret the world. And I think if you're happy... It builds and it grows and it's like a, a rolling stone. And that, it sounds really easy. It does sound really easy. It's yeah. not. It's <laughs> not easy. But please just try it. You know, if you wake, if you are in a place where you're not feeling great, try and think of three things that are positive that day and keep a little journal every day. And you, you probably will find yourself just lifting, even if you lift yourself a little bit, it's a step in the right direction as long as you're moving forward. You're 
That's really important, Jay. Thank you for that. I think that's quite a key thing that very often, you know, people miss that. So three things to be grateful for if you're not feeling in a great place, hopefully can get you to shift that mindset. Absolutely. Um, three things I'm grateful for today. Um, I took my partner's children to summer camp kind of thing, like school for the holidays, and they were really pleased. Put little notes in the lunchbox for them, so that was a really good start to the morning. A local shop was able to sell me frazzles for my lunch. Always a good, <laughs> always a good positive thing, a bag of frazzles to see you through the day. Uh, yeah. And... Um, you know, my camp taking my cat out later on for a, for a walk. Yep, I have a cat. He's a house cat. He has a harness, and we go out for a walk <laughs> once or twice a week. So there's my three things for today. But definitely frazzles. Get out there and buy a packet. You'll feel great. <laughs> I love that, Jay. What it's making me think about is I always say it's the the little details. Absolutely. So it's the seemingly small things that often make us, you know, kind of the most worked up are also the things that can give us the most joy. And I think it's just about, it's almost about kind of, we have to train ourselves, don't we? Un, you know, shed all our programming and all the things that we've learned, you know, as we've been kind of growing up and, and into adulthood. And like you mentioned a really great word there about choice. We can choose. Absolutely. And I think we, we just forget. We forget that. And I think that's such an empowering sort of thing to be aware of. Yes. But yeah, we, and we can choose frazzles, but there are other um, snacks available. <laughs> There's so many, we were talking earlier on about the external forces from the media and, and social media and, and other people, and they really do have a negative effect on you. Mm. You know, I, I worry about children and Instagram with that I think pressure. we're probably going to cover that actually on, a, yeah. on a, yeah. definitely I think that'll be a really good kind of discussion point and I'm sure I'm hoping that we'll have a lot of people wanting to kind of you know and I contact think, us and let us know what they think about that and I think you know making other people feel good is a really good tonic if you're feeling a bit down if you can spread a bit of joy to somebody else I mean a, a really good example that sticks in my mind was uh, as you know I had a dog for, for many years I've had dogs all my life and when I used to go out and walk the dog in the morning I encountered an old lady one morning and I had a big North Face coat on, I probably looked a bit like a thug. And I just stopped and said good morning and she just looked at me like I'd just handed her a bouquet of flowers because it, it might have been the only interaction she had that day. But I just said, oh, good morning, have a good day. And, you know, she went on with a big smile on her face after... Because when she was approaching me, she looked really scared. Um, so, yeah, that was just something that stuck in my mind. She just looked really, really happy that I'd had a little bit of a interact with her and, and off she went. I think um, I love that what you were saying about kind of you know she she burst into smile. It's um, it's this this idea about how our thoughts and our feelings are kind of connected is something that we we focus on a lot at Three B. Um, one of the things that we're really big on Jay are emotions. Yep. Um, you know, so leaning into feelings, expressing emotions, and using the information that our emotions are giving us to support our emotional, mental well-being. And we refer to this at 3B as having uh, emotional wealth. And that enables us to be more resilient, which is what you were talking about before. So how do you see the relationship between our emotions and our mental well-being? Oh, I think it's, it's absolutely a core. So emotional intelligence is, is a core element of healthy positive well-being if you can master your emotions and develop a skill like rationalizing 
those feelings you know if you can sort of take time out to understand how you feel and why you feel the way you do during life's highs and lows you can then implement strategies to cope and ensure that you have healthy well-being so you know if you if you're a person that really struggles with even slight criticism if you can flip that around a little bit and understand why somebody might say to you you need to do this differently or do that differently without being so defensive then you're not going to see it as a negative you're just going to go oh I appreciate your feedback thank you and then you can work on that and become a better person or when I say become a better person I mean you can deal with that in a better way so you're not so emotionally negatively affected you understand why that person might have said to you hey Sue this is how you work the microphone in the studio whereas you know some people who don't sort of don't have that social emotional intelligence might take that as a real sort of negative and then want to give up and not do the radio show anymore perhaps so I think sort of really just taking a step back and mastering your emotions I'm very emotional I get upset drop of a hat but I know how to deal with it and I can I can work through it you know it's a bit like a, a you know if you tell a child off that they'll get really upset about it but if you kind of explain to them this is why you can't do that this is why you can't do that then they they can perceive that and understand it and go away and interpret it and go okay that's why I was told I couldn't have that extra chocolate bar um, or that extra bag of frazzles there's always room for extra frazzles <laughs> I think it's yeah it's interesting what you're saying there because there's a lot there in there about um, kind of learning to regulate yes. our emotions and I think um, one of the things that Claire and I feel really passionate about is acknowledging our emotions as being part of us as human beings and I think there are a lot of situations in life where we're actually taught to kind of suppress emotions we're taught that to feel things is you know we're feeling the wrong things or you know the wrong things at the wrong time um, and often I think what I've learned over the years is that what when we're showing emotion usually and we get a reaction from someone else usually it's because our feelings are inconvenient for them <laughs> it's 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 to do with how they're not able to deal with it rather than ourselves and um, I think there's a lot of really interesting research coming out now about you know kind of heart health in terms of like what we're feeling you know so heart and mind mind body is actually all really linked together so our thoughts affect our feelings which affect our actions but it's also so much more than that. So what you were saying there about actually learning, you know, the feedback. So, you know, you're giving me feedback about how I'm being in the studio. I could really take offence at that or I could, you know, how dare he speak to me like that? That's not helpful because the feeling I'm feeling yep. is probably I'm, I'm maybe feeling rejected. I'm feeling fear. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling frustrated. <coughs> it could be really that I'm directing that at myself. It's not really about you. You know, and that's often the way half the time. But actually, if I'm aware of this and I know this, then I'm in a better position to be able to respond. To process it, yeah. Yeah. I, I was chatting with a friend recently that's um, in a relationship, and it's a lady, and they were struggling to get across their emotions to the partner. And it stemmed back, we had a chat about it, about where it's come from, and the dad was very much a strong, silent type, and that's imprinted on them. So now they 
are very emotional and they care for people but they struggle to get that message across that they do care for the person that they're with and you know it was affecting the relationship and I said it's you know it's fine just just open up more and it's easy for me to preach this <laughs> but they did understand where I was coming from and I said that's that's how it was back when you, your dad was you know um, younger I think that's part of having emotional intelligence, isn't yeah. it? Understanding that we're all different yeah. and that what I might be feeling from my perspective, you know, might not be affecting the other person in the same way. And so actually in order to find a common ground, you in, in having emotional intelligence often means you're the one who's got to be more flexible in the way that you're thinking, in the way that you're communicating. And that actually takes a lot of work. It can be really draining and that can then have an impact on your mental well-being because you think, well, I'm the one in the relationship that's always having to accommodate. But if you've got that knowledge, then really you've got a duty to yourself and to the other person yep. to, to put that into practice, haven't you, and to use that. Absolutely. You know, it's, the, it's the old saying that you see on a lot, of, a lot of slogans for suicide prevention. It's good to talk. It absolutely is good to talk. It's no good bottling it up. And... I think we've got to learn more to open up and talk and I think everyone needs to learn that skill but also be a good listener so if your friend is quite closed or your acquaintance you can say look you can talk to me and just let them at their own pace open up and talk but do encourage it I think we all need to do that to each other. Yeah I think we need to build up more of a culture of trust yep. with one another I think we're taught to be a lot more suspicious of one another or that somebody's out to get something from us or you know they're they maybe got a kind of a, an ulterior motive and you know obviously we have to protect ourselves and it, but I think that again is part of building up that strength that resilience within us we know ourselves first I think we're in a much stronger position um, to be able to have good communications good relationships um, and just enjoy life absolutely a lot more here so you you mentioned earlier about um, emotional resilience um, you know, kind of, you mentioned about, you've talked about emotional intelligence, you talked about, you, you consider yourself to be quite a resilient person. Yes. You know, and you've kind of had, as you said, quite low points in your life. You've also experienced the highs as well. Are there any things that you do consciously to sort of build up that emotional resilience? Um, I think putting yourself out of your comfort zone is really important. So building resilience, you have to be exposed to things you don't like. Otherwise, you, how do you build up resilience to them? It's, it's kind of exposure therapy, I think it's uh, referred to. So I would go out and, and look at new things. Um, in my sales career, I won a, a really prestigious award. I was uh, European Distributor of the Year for IBM. And I'd had no training in public speaking or, you know, I'm, I'm quite mouthy, as you already know. Um, but, uh, you know, I went to this conference. Uh, that particular conference was in Greece, I think I remember. And I ended up in a, an auditorium. There was probably about 2,000 people, I probably knew about 50 of them, and I had to get up on stage and accept this award and go, oh yeah, th thanks, I'm really pleased, blah, blah, blah. and I couldn't get off there fast enough. And that's the majority of people, that's the, the, well, the main fear, isn't it? That the kind of fear of public speaking. And that, and that identified, you know, I took that on board and I thought, that, that's a, it's not a weakness, but it's something I need to develop. So I, I found an organisation called Toastmasters International, which is a, a worldwide charity that have like a public speaking club and I found one locally, there was one in Warrington, I joined there, and I was there for about 10 years. I, did, I was secretary one year, I was treasurer another year, and that helped me immensely, and I really enjoyed it. And now I, I get a kick out of public speaking, I get a buzz out of it. Um, so that, obviously now I'm resilient to public speaking, 
and I find it relatively easy um, when I do a, prepared, a prepared speech rather than a radio interview. Um, so that taught me a lot of skills and I think that's how I approach resilience. You know, look at something and talk it through. Go and seek advice. You know, if you are finding financial hardship, I've experienced financial hardship in my life, go away and talk to people and don't bury your head in the sand and you'll be resilient by getting information and arming yourself almost. I think that's a good way of looking at it. So you are arming yourself. You pops, you know, possibly too late at the time, but then you've built up resilience for the future, so you've kind of shut that door so it doesn't happen again. And that's how I would, that's how I've dealt with resilience. That's really, really interesting. I think it um, sounds like, <coughs> excuse me, one of the messages there is about asking for help. Yeah. And I think a lot of us when you know when we're kind of experiencing a low point I know I do this myself I go very kind of internal yep. I'll go very kind of inward and think oh this is my problem I've got to solve it I've got to sh you know kind of come out of this showing the world that I can deal with things whereas actually I'm really fortunate you know I've got a lovely friendship network I've got a really you know supportive family um, there are people in my life I'm very fortunate that I could turn to and yet sometimes I still don't go there you know but I think what you're saying there about part of resilience is being vulnerable absolutely yeah so it, it's identifying it's understanding your vulnerabilities and admitting to yourself okay I am scared of this people who I've got I've helped a lot of friends who've got social anxiety and they've said well how do I get out there and meet new people or and I've mentioned obviously walking groups and, and other groups, but I've also talked about volunteering with them. So these are people that are so you know, they're really anxious and they, and they cannot manage a full time job, which is fine. You know, that, that's a big thing for a lot of people that responsibility. Yeah. So you know, go out and volunteer at the dog's home, do some dog walking or local charity shop or you know all these things just to slowly baby steps build up your resilience. Very much like the radio station, you know, we've got so many volunteers here and people that have, you know, come from a quite a lonely existence where they didn't feel they could go out and interact with other people and now they're doing radio shows. It's fantastic. I love what you're saying there about baby steps and I think that applies to lots of things to do with our mental well-being. I'm sure Claire would agree that it's all about putting those things in place little by little and I think too often when we want to make changes in our life or when we've got big things happening, we think that we've also got to do big things in order to you know, make that change or, or to make things different. But actually, usually, it all starts with one small step or one small conversation. This is 3B, the mental wellbeing company with Let's Talk Wellbeing. This has been really interesting, Jay. Just want to explain a little bit about the three B's, which is our three B, the mental wellbeing company. The three B's are the foundation of how we want to live our lives and how we want to carry out our work with others. That B, believe and breathe. Everything we do comes back to this philosophy of supporting ourselves and others to be who you really are, who you truly are, and to be comfortable with that to believe in yourself, your abilities, to know yourself and to be able to own your own thoughts and emotions, as we were talking about, to help you to believe in what you're capable of and to make time and space for yourself each and every day, to pause, 
to breathe in whatever way works for you. This is how we work with individuals, with groups and with organisations. This is our approach to meet people where they are, not saying this is how you should be doing it. So we'd love for you to share what you think about the three Bs and to tell us how you might bring more of the three Bs into your life. I think the three Bs are great. I think it's a really good way of quantifying and setting things out. I think you've really hit the nail on the head with that one. I think self-confidence is really, really important. Um, absolutely very, very important. When I set out, you know, when I was 18 and I had, you know, I had a really good home life. I lived in a nice part of Runcorn. Parents, you know, looked after me. I didn't want for anything. I had a roof over my head. But I had this drive to, to move out when I was 18. Um, and I didn't want to rent. I had this, um, I remember back in the mid 80s when interest rates went to 18% for those younger people out there. Um, and my parents, they lost the house, you know, like, like a lot of people did at the time. And when I moved out at 18, I thought, right, I don't want to rent. I want to I want to buy my own house at 18. And I believed in myself that I could do it. And I think self-belief can take you anywhere. Yeah. Self-belief, you know, you've still got to train for things and you've still got to learn skills if you want the job that you want, if you want to you know, do whatever you want to do. But if you believe and you really believe in yourself and you've got that self-confidence and you just take time out to understand yourself and breathe and, and believe in yourself then you can really go anywhere I mean I'm 46 and I'm just undertaking a counselling degree now because that's somewhere I want to go I want to use my passion for helping people in a constructive way and I've decided that a counselling degree is going to give me that experience and that knowledge to go and help people and I believe I can do it so that's that really quantifies it for me is self-belief a lot of people really they struggle with believing in themselves and who else is going to believe in you if you don't believe in yourself? But other people can only push you so far. You've got to really push yourself. That's fantastic. Thank you, Jay. I think lots of things that you've talked about already today link really well with that. You know, this sharing your emotions, being positive, you know, and we just really thank you for um, sharing your story with us. Mm -hmm.